I remembered something else to complain about. Oh? Yeah. On top of everything I was complaining about before we were, were recording. Our pre-show secret complaints. Yeah, well, I am a miserable, <laughs> depressed fucker lately. Um, hold on. The, ver- the very thing I'm going to complain about is, is being a bother. One sec. <clears throat> right. Oh, God. Oh, God. Eh, sorry, give me a sec. Eh, right. Um, remember when I was ill over Christmas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's not done with me. I'm not ill, but I'm still full of, um, like, sick badness inside, as the pudding lad would say. Um, <laughs> I'm, like, just full of crud and, and whatnot. And that threatened to ruin my birthday, because, like, I won't go into details. I'm sure many of us have been there when there's like crud in there for a long time. And then your body's like, I need to violently get rid of that. Yes. Yes. That threatened on my birthday, but I will powered it uh, because I had like guests and I wasn't going to have them hear <laughs> that. Yeah. Because I sound like a bag of cats being strangled, <laughs> which I don't even know how that would happen, whether they'd have like small hands on each individual cat or a giant hand, but that would just squash the bag. Anyway, that's uh, not really the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is I'm currently in a, a what's now a days-long attempt by my body to violently expel that, which was triggered because I thought I'd gotten rid of it by me uh, taking a big hit on my bong, accidentally swallowing the smoke because Echo was there and I was fucking around to impress them. <laughs> yeah, that got me coughing enough to to get like things happening. And then my bong hits have been hitting better since. So I also think on top of ruining my Christmas and now making me like so violently hacking that like my throat fucking hurts. Because the collar that's like really important to me was strangling me as well while it was happening. Which ordinarily, but not in this case, it's been pretty fucking shit. Oh no. That's, an, that's not that's Oh, not I didn't ideal. finish the point I was making. And there's a reason for that. Because after the big episode with it yesterday, the bong's been hitting way better. So I'm pretty sure that on top of ruining everything, it's been filtering as well. <laughs> so it's wasted a bunch of that shit. The really good shit <laughs> that was really good and then suddenly like was was not really doing much and now is like doing fine. Gotta get the rest of the shit out of me. Anyway. Gotta love having a physical body that has, you know, the the limitations human bodies have. Yeah. Love love that for us. I hate that, like, the most relatable song to me is a song called Body by Mother Mother that is just about falling to fucking bits. (laughs) I do really like that band. But I was listening to it uh, yesterday and I was like, Jesus Christ. I got really upset because I'm like, that's just me. Oh, but how's everyone else? Oh, yeah, I got a, just for the listeners because I said it earlier. Got a big fucking toothache as well that I need to keep smearing numbing gel on, like like Bongella type stuff. Ah, uh, Ambisol. Fucking, it sucks, mate. Um, but how is everybody else? I'm I'm all right. By the time people hear this, there will be a video I did chatting to someone about Tekken 8 and photosensitivity, where I'm like, there was good news, 
that game is less likely to cause people to die from epilepsy now, but it's very inconvenient for me because it means I have to slightly re-edit a video because because I recorded it before they, they fixed it. And that's inconvenient to me. How, I... did, how dare they not consider me <laughs> when they lowered people's risk of dying from a video game? I know that pain all too well. For... Yeah. Like, you finish the video and... It ha- I mean... I get the thing of of uploading it and it's out. I publish it. I make it public, and then an update happens like half an hour after. I mean, it happens on this show all the time as well. Oh yeah. Well, we've got at least one news story this week that literally half an hour after we recorded got updated last week. There we go. There yeah. we go. I had one last year where I did my like, hey, here's all the things I sort of I would like to see happen in video game accessibility in the in the year to come. And there was like two days between me recording it and it posting. And one of the things I talked as a, about as a hypothetical I'd like to see got announced in that two-day window, and I was like, that's great! Mm. I'm gonna gonna have to go and re-edit that video. <laughs> yeah. Da- damn you, PlayStation announcing an accessibility controller in the two-day window before I said, you should do that. <laughs> yeah, who's who's been playing stuff this week? Actually, <sighs> I just remembered something. Now, I know that yeah? there's been quite a bit of crossover with, like, playing games this week. Mm-hmm. Right, Um yeah. But I did just remember something. I was actually going to like bring it up before the show, but I might as well bring it up now. You know me, I'm given to whimsy and impulsivity. And I like little bullshit-like toys that remind me of shit like mini boglins and shit like that. A lot of it is like just like physical loot boxes that is kind of fucking bullshit. But there you go. Anyway, I saw this one... The little creatures looked kind of cute, so I just like picked them up. And they were called um, Smashlings, they're called. And they're just like little sort of piñatas with different sort of physical themes and things. And they were cute. And uh, just to show how fucking gullible and impressionable I am, I got a rare silver on my first go. And then I was like, brilliant, I'm going to keep getting these. Um, (laughs) Just to show how impressionable I am. Um, but one thing that was interesting, and I didn't sort of take it in until I took, like, got home, was there was a thing about a DLC code inside. Here's the twist in the tale. I don't know how common this is. I know there's a lot of app-based stuff to the point where I'm, like, gonna, um, cover that in some point. Because, you know, I got the Mario Lego for the kids and had to download an app to get instructions and shit like it's beneath them now to like put like instructions in the box Uh, or at least just print them on the back or something like like some simple ones but yeah so I don't know how common this is but I scanned one from one of these little eggs I had little plastic eggs with little feet they were quite cute again impressionable I was like I'm getting the eggs they've got feet (laughs) very easily placed so I took one of the little QR codes out and I scanned it and I put it in because uh, they were talking about unlocking things in a game. And I've seen some of that shit as well. I'm like, it will be some like crappy little app. But no, it linked to Roblox. Yeah, I've stumbled upon this while you've been talking. Can I just tell you the first thing I found when I searched Smashlings app? And found, you know, found something about the Roblox thing. So I found a website on the developer's webpage, toykaido.com's Pinata Smashlings. Here is the first graphic on the page. I'm going to read it to you. Welcome to the Pinataverse. 
Two million pounds plus marketing budget. One hundreds of characters created in 2023. April launch Discord server. May game trailer. It's a fucking marketing roadmap of like the 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 marketing to you know sponsors roadmap is the first thing that shows up. That's talking amazing. about talking about the marketing spend of the roadmap. But it's got all the colourful little characters on it. It's like, oh, here's a little sippy cup rainbow and a little dragon excitedly going, oh, yeah, in July we launched the multiplayer game collection mechanic with monthly live updates and active influencer partnerships in August. This is interesting. This is interesting. I'm I'm gonna link you to this this page. It's the first thing that came up. We're pressing an eye against the looking glass as we go here. Because yeah. just yesterday, I was looking at what I just described a few moments ago. I was looking at different types of those little sort of collectible things that come in like eggs or, or like what they call blind boxes, stuff like that. Yeah. And I've picked up little random ones here and there. Again, just because like nostalgia and I like, like you know, used to like mini Bogrins, monster in my pocket, all that. And some of them are quite cute. But I did notice, because I was sort of looking at different ones online last night, and I did notice a lot of them come from a very small handful of companies. Some Hmm. of them are, like, almost indistinguishable from, like, one another. There's a lot of, like, just random shit thrown together, almost to just, like, try and be marketable as possible. I don't think many of them last very long. I see them almost rotate in and out of stock. So between what I was thinking last night about sort of how homogenous it was and what you've just shared, like, shit, there is just a cynical production line. One might say a game mill. Yeah, like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, these things are just sort of churned out. Like, obviously, I know that, like, I, I mentioned earlier, like, there's something of the loot box about them. They are, like, kind of exploitative, and, like, the toy industry is just as scummy as any other, and, uh, you know, I don't want people to think I'm surprised that a toy line has been cynically designed. Wait a second. You mean you grew up with the Transformers and you don't (laughs) think a toy line has been cynically designed? I'm shocked. Exactly. Like, I I know they're cynically designed. It's more the, the, the scale of the production line on this. And I guess it sort of speaks volumes about, like, the market they're targeting, because I also see a lot of them... The kids watch YouTube with yes. supervision, yeah. because, like, the weird fucking creepypasta, like, shit that YouTube mm. leads the eldest down. But I see them, like, they like Paw Patrol, that pig-coddling show. And <laughs> they want to watch it, but they don't... And they do this with a lot of other cartoons they like. They don't want to watch the cartoons. They want to watch YouTube videos of, like, these mystery box things being opened. Very similar to, like, the unboxing videos that, like, I've done them for, like, collector's editions of games and shit. But now it's being targeted directly at, like, young children. It's been going on for years, and 1,000% there is a market that is trying to emulate the CSGO lotto mechanic of watch someone else open loot boxes and get vicarious excitement through that and be kind of 
desensitized to the idea of maybe purchasing yeah. randomized collections yourself aimed at children. It's been a thing for a while. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, Hatchimals and, like, shit like that. Like, I've talked about Hatchimals on the, the Gymquisition before about sort of, like, fads and things. Um, and a lot of those fads are that kind of real cynical, pointed shit. But yeah, the, the, the tie-in I bring here with, like, the YouTube videos about this shit, like, some of the most vapid crap I've ever had to sit through, I, I find it interesting that the toys are sort of reflecting that market, where it's, it's just content, but not videos, little bits of rubber, it's just content, content, content. Find a random item, put eyes on it, make them small, and sell them. It's interesting looking at this one, because I've gone down the rabbit hole now of looking at the Takedo Toys Instagram and seeing, like, a pretty good representation of, like, a year's worth of trying to make this a thing. Mm -hmm. And it starts at TikToker excitedly pointing at themselves in the piñataverse, go, I'm playing the game, why aren't you playing it too? Which then evolves to Chuck E. Cheese partnership into Panini Sticker Book into YouTuber partnerships, into the thing itself launching. And it's like, it's, you, can, you can see the very calculated pathway all going up to, here's as many ways to randomly collect these as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen... Because this shit is cynically designed to appeal to me, and it works. Oh, yeah. So I've kept an eye on a lot of these different lines over the years. So, yeah, I'm well aware of how far back it goes. I mean, if we want to talk about the general concept, it goes back to the fucking 80s. But, again, this sort of weird YouTube influencer-targeted little toy lines. Um, Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Like, I'm definitely going to look into it more. It's a crossover of two of my sort of, like, wheelhouses, you know, video games, because a lot of these things are tied to gaming apps and and influencers and stuff, and shitty little bits of plastic tat. So yeah, this is, like, probably the most me subject ever, which is why I've spent so long nattering about it. But I am genuinely fascinated by, like, the the mentality, and um, how even though they're doing stuff that has suckered me since the 80s, there is just something so audacious about this one, especially stemming from the the PR guff that you just found, Laura, where they really do think they are gonna, like, break big on social media if they just churn out a toy line and see which one goes viral. Um, Yeah, fucking fascinating. I'm gonna have to see what other of these toy lines do it. Or, or what other toy lines do it, because so many of these fucking toys have apps. And I've already, again, got something really interesting subject matter about apps targeted at kids and, and, and just how sort of alarming some of that stuff is when it comes to replicating business models uh, that we've seen in, in the game industry and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated and want to look into it more and see how many more are like tied to Roblox or worse shit. I would imagine a lot of them are. It's it, it, it really is a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But one I'm genuinely like interested and eager to to like dig into. I am depressingly fascinated by this as a thing. <laughs> I'm just excited about the fact I'll get to cover 
mini buglins in some fashion <laughs> and and call it legitimate journalism. Exactly. Pleased with that. So yeah, sort of a not really a game because I you know, lord knows I'm not going to play anything on Roblox. All that stuff looks ghastly. Uh but yeah, interesting game thing that I have interacted with. Yeah. What about you, Conrad? What you been playing this week? Well, we we've all played something. What have we all played, we have, Conrad? We have all robbed a bank. <gasps> we have all robbed a yes. bank. Yes. Turn it, turn it, boy. Robs a bank. Is that turn it, I... boy. Robs a fucking bank. I, <laughs> oh, it's it's really good. It I really, really fucking is. love this. It's so good. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I. I love me a roguelite. Sure. Hell yeah. Don't, yeah. You know, that's already in my wheelhouse, and they have really carried the turnip boy spirit into mm-hmm. this gameplay design. Yeah, because this is this is genre wise pretty different from Turnip Boy commits tax evasion was the first one. Yep. Yeah, yep. like I am really like thrilled at that as well. Like mm. it's, I love. Uh, it has to be good, of course, because this sure. is one of those sort of big. It's almost like like making a game that that thematically uh, uh, is about um, Palestine. If you aim big, you like better nail it you know and the same is true for this uh when you have a radical genre shift because if you fuck that up you really fuck that up yeah but they fucking nailed it they didn't just nail and and i'll we'll get into description in in just a second they didn't just (laughs) nail new genre they nailed reassessing said genre mm. in a way that works with their prior material. Agreed. Mm. Like, mm. One of the things that's so great about Turnip Boy is how short it is. Yes. You know, it it's pretty unrelenting with its jokes, and it has a lot of them, but it crams it all into a very short little package. Yeah. And I love mm. how that's reflected in Turnip Boy Robs a Bank, like many roguelites, you are exploring some sort of dungeon or whatever, and you will be, you know, surviving as long as you can. This mm. puts a hard limit on how long your runs will be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting to sort of help balance that the randomization aspect of the game also is a little bit different than you might expect. You're still going to find doors and go through them, but you're going to find them in static environments that are unchanging, so you always know at least where the doors are, even if you don't know where they're going to lead to in some cases. Yeah, there is a static core of the environment, and you know, like, these locations will always be static. It's like, doors are fine, elevators will take you to a random location from a small pool of possible options for that area you're in mm-hmm. right like it's it's not completely randomized but it is a degree of i might go through an elevator and get taken to a place i don't have the tools for yet or i might get taken to one that i do have the solution for and you have to quickly work out which of those it is and make a distinction about how you're going to spend your time well it, it does a smart thing about signaling you know what's going to be behind the door there are doors that are going to be of like one of i think three or four random office floor designs and then the rest of them all have specific purpose 
and the yeah. doors will reflect that when you approach them. So you're not wasting time unless you're going into these other ones, which there's still a reason to do that. Each one of those floors has some sort of side quest associated with it that you'll need an item to complete. But you never know which one you're going to get of those until you're in them. And you might have to just pop in and pop out. But there's only like three or four of those. The rest of it is all pretty clearly communicated um, so as to not waste the limited amount of time that you have. Because you never get more than five clean minutes of this run. Yeah. Maybe it's six. But you can you then get another like couple of minutes after the timer runs out to make your way back out before the deadline and, and it just cuts you off. Hmm. The weapons are great. The yeah, the little I puzzles and yeah. Do you just want to um, circle back to when the weapons uh, are also sort of included in it? What you said about like the not wasting time mm-hmm. um, yes. is all of that shit. Unlocking weapons, unlocking like what you mentioned, Laura, the the items to um, hmm. open up inaccessible things. You unlock it at such a quick clip. It reminds me of Bone Razor Minions, only not. That took longer just because there was so much more, uh, whereas this is sort of streamlined. But I have not felt like I've really needed to grind at all. And I'm at a point now, and it didn't take very long, where I can do a run and be like, at the very least, over halfway towards the biggest thing I need to get. Like, I have all of the current things I need for the stage of the game I'm at. Most runs of this game, you will do, you'll do your three minutes of attempting to rob the bank and get out, and you will come back with probably enough money and enough weapons to go, cool, I picked these weapons up off of some guards that dropped them, I'll give them to this guy to, like, upgrade my starting weapon selection, I've got probably enough to buy something new off the dark web, you know, to to progress uh, plotline, jump right back into it, do another three minute run. It's such a good quick pace, and there is... I really appreciate that there's so there's a very limited number of things to do between runs, but they're all very clearly defined. It makes a good loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really sort of has a rhythm. Yeah, that whole thing of just select your starting loadout, cash in any weapons that you found for the first time in a run, get permanent upgrades, buy an item, jump back in for another three three to five minutes. Yeah, it's so snappy. It wastes none of your time. Yeah, and. To that point of wasting none of your time, no run is a waste of time. Nope. Because if you don't achieve any sort of, like, progression, attaining money is already so important that just getting in the bank, grabbing stuff... And I've done many runs like that where I'm not really interested in in advancing. I just want to smash and grab. So every time you run into the bank and come back, no matter what you've done or haven't done you've succeeded in some way and then if you die you still get half so there's that punishment but you don't lose everything and even even you know outside of that i think the biggest thing for me about runs not feeling wasted is even even with the run length being so short every run i come away from the game feeling like i have a better understanding of that space and like the next run i'm going to be able to take like a more direct route to where i'm trying to go it I think it really, like, that's one of the benefits of the the runs being so short, is you are really drilling into your head the route options, and, like, you can really specialise how you're going to get through that space, Mm. because you get so familiar with it, and, and, you know, because so 
much of it is predictable outside of those known random uh, doorways to go through. Mm-hmm. One of the random weapons is a frog. One of the random weapons is a frog. One of the weapons is a frog. It needed pointing out. I'm currently rocking a uh, a, a boomerang made of bones. I quite enjoyed a, a machine gun that was a corn cob that just fired bits of corn. Mm-hmm. That was Wonderful. quite good. There's one that fired like bomb flowers. It was like a grenade launcher for just like bomb flowers. I like the conch shell as well that fires like big musical notes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of silly shit there. And I do like how like the um starting weapons that you unlock, yeah, yeah, ones that you keep, get pretty effective again to keep the theme pretty quickly. Once I got the assault rifle, like I felt like I had something pretty dependable. Yeah. Um no matter what else I got. I like the way that the weapons you pick up in the run are handled, because they have um, a sort of ammo count, but it does recharge, so like, you know, swap to your other weapon if it runs out and swap back to it. Oh, does but it that... recharge? Because there's ammo to pick up that gets dropped. Uh, it might but... it might just be that I've been picking it up mm. and that that's been the thing, but it's, 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 it's not a problem to keep ammo stocked on your weapons you pick up in the run, no. but they can theoretically run out, and that is something you have to think about, which makes them... Not desirable to keep permanently, which incentivizes hand them over to that character who's going to increase your stock of starting weapons. And those starting weapons always have permanent ammo from what I've seen. Another nice thing is that ammo refills all guns. Even if you're carrying two weapons that have ammo, it refills both of them. Yes. Which is really, really nice. Um, I like that in boss fights, the timer stops. And you can just take your time with the bosses and you don't have to do them in under the three minutes. I like that you can fight the bosses again if you want to and that they all have unique weapons that if you like them, you can just run and grab them from them and carry on. I like that there is uh, some accessibility stuff in there for things like um, auto-targeting of Mm -hmm. enemies or for uh, tweaking some of those damage values for... Uh, Like, there's a lot of really nice stuff in there for tweaking the difficulty in ways that I really appreciate. I also like that, um, like, there are those rooms, challenge rooms, where, you know, you fight a bunch of enemies and you'll get rewarded with a weapon if you clear all the waves. And there are multiple variants of them depending on Mm. how far you are into exploring. So deeper in, you'll get harder waves of enemies, which I appreciate. It still keeps that sense of randomness while also, you know, giving a little bit of a difficulty progression that you can work with. Yeah. This is such an immediately satisfying game to play. Mm -hmm. It captures, as we said before, it captures that tone of Turnip Boy commits tax evasion, but it just hits the ground running in such a very different way that grabbed my attention instantly. I am so into this game's loop. It's, It's interesting how it's mechanically so similar. In that it's the same game with a time limit and combat, ultimately, Mm. when it comes Mm. right down to it. You're doing basically the same fetch quests with the same sense of humor, just with a little element added in. But that element is so compelling on its own that it really works. I'm a big fan. This has been one of the most pleasant surprises of a sequel Mm. I have played in a long time. And the hats is turning for little hats. You can get a mushroom hat. Like the like what I wanted from fucking Zelda. You can wear a little acorn hat. You can wear a little mini you as a hat. You can wear a fucking what was it? The ten gallon hat that is just like so yeah. tall it like <laughs> just takes up half the fucking screen. <laughs> that game is is wonderful. It's super charming. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's it's great. It it is going to be the thing that soaks up my time this now, week. Now I 
did just hit a progression point that will be a little bit of a... Never mind. I just I thought it was going to be a wall. I just found a treasure worth a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, I was like, I gotta <laughs> save up a hundred and fifty k for this next item. That's ridiculous. Oh no, wait. Here's an item conveniently for a hundred thousand dollars. Brilliant. Well, thank you, game. <laughs> yeah, it's good at that though. It's good yes. at, at, at making it at making a jump in in what you need to earn seem kind of insurmountable, and then suddenly getting you there yeah just instantly <laughs> wow yeah what a great game we don't have to go straight on to this but i do just want to point out because i'll talk about it later i played two roguelikes this week one of them has a massive budget and publisher behind it and and really kind of had something to fucking justify I... with what it released <laughs> I know exactly which one you're talking about, well, and um, well, why don't we just move on to it? I mean, I don't know that yeah, I have anything else right. to say. Yeah. Uh, so the roguelike mode in The Last of Us Part Two remastered. Yep. Yeah, I had. I've been playing the main game on New Game Plus with uh, Ellie dressed as an astinaut, um, yeah. with infinite ammo and uh, squeaky voices, or sometimes slowed down voices, which, when paired with the script, makes it indistinguishable from a David Lynch film. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, because it is a very serious game about war and violence and, and it, the cycle thereof, obviously they hammered the point home with... All of those things I've put on the game to ruin it. Um, so that's been fun. But I did have a, a bit of a cheeky go earlier today on the roguelike mode. And it's what I thought, which is that gameplay is not fucking suited to roguelikes. It's not actively bad. It's just kind of there. I think I kind of hate it. I don't hate it. I just have no real desire to keep going with it i'll tell you the thing i don't like about it the most and and it it really sort of jumped out at me it's so quiet mm. you know the last of us especially you know that series it's such a chatty fucking series there's so much dialogue characters are constantly talking while you're playing this is stony silent like they might talk a little bit like a few voice lines during combat and like the enemies will still like as as one review which i i need to like look it up i think it might have been jewel shockers but i can't be quite sure they pointed out that like in this roguelike mode that is just violent combat for its own salacious sake they still have the enemies yelling each other's names <laughs> and shit and it just yeah it comes across as so awkward it's one of those things where I played this almost back-to-back -back with the God of War roguelike mode. I played both of them in the same day, and doing that really hit home how lackluster The Last of Us 2's one is. Yeah. Because I was playing that, and then I stopped to start playing an eight-hour-plus story-driven epilogue roguelike mode mm -hmm. that, like, you know, that felt so much more like it had a purpose to exist and was a free download versus this that is like the major content edition for a $10 paid upgrade. That's where this fails the most is in the context of you paid money for this compared to a really much better example that came out for free from another PlayStation first party. Yeah. And then there's Turnip Boy on top of that, like a way smaller game being a way better roguelike, because if I'm perfectly honest, 
this is one of the shittier roguelikes I've played. It's not at the furthest end, but it's on the far yeah. end of the shitty scale of roguelikes I've played. I will tell you the one thing that, that kept me playing it, and it's such a minor thing, and I know that this doesn't make the game good, but it was a roguelike with a playable transmask protagonist that was that was available, and I was like, I'm getting some novelty out of this, out of being, being able to play as the cool trans man character for a bit. So that that was enough to to get me to play like four hours and go cool. I've done that. I'm just cooking up a delicious review of it. I didn't review that mode in isolation because it did not feel worth my time. I was like, what what would I even say about that? I'd go, it's the Last of Us two combat, but randomized. Yeah, but, but there you go. It's, it's... That that's it. <laughs> it's so small. It's like these small little arenas. Um, with small little waves of enemies, and... It feels like there's very little surprise in what you encounter. Oh, yeah. After, like, half an hour, 45 minutes, you've encountered every type of thing it might throw you. Yeah, I had a little go. Like, a little, like, 15, 20-minute go before recording, and I already feel like I've seen enough. Like, it's not doing anything to, to vary itself. And it's just this small, quiet game, like the little hub between missions. Your character just stony silent, and then into the next drab, small mission. It screams cobbled together, which is the only thing it does scream, because it otherwise makes no noise. It is a weak, weak idea. A weak attempt to justify releasing the remaster like to try and say there's extra content that isn't extra content that is scrapings uh i played something else that wasn't great this week but i know you've played staff i famously very much enjoy pokemon and as such i've spent the last week having people constantly badgering me going are you gonna try pal world are you gonna try pal world are you gonna try pal world and the answer was no not to the same extent as you but god i've been badgered and from two conflicting sides i've got the people who want to talk about certain controversial elements and like talk about like why the game is fucking murky and then i've got people who are like super fucking like zealous about the game and how it's kicking the shit out of pokemon and and yeah. having played it i don't know how it's doing that like i i don't know if the fans are being sarcastic yeah, so here's the thing. I wasn't going to play it because I looked at trailers and the trailers made it look like it was going to be edgy, dark Pokemon with guns, put your Pokemon in a sweatshop, give them an AK-47. And then I watched some footage of people playing it and the first things I saw were, oh, you can catch your humans in Pokeball and then put them in the mincing machine to turn them into meat. And I was like, this just doesn't seem like it's going to be for me. And I played five hours of it. And it's not for me, but for none of the reasons I thought it wasn't going to be for me. Because it's not the game that the marketing made it seem like it was going to be. It is not. Five hours in, I've not gotten a gun. I've not had the game at any point, like, try and push me down that edgy edgy route. The game is a compulsion loop survival crafting game that kind of has a Pokemon mode in it, but that Pokemon mode is about auto-battling, and has some weirdness about, like, revival timers that feel like they are free-to-play monetization things just without the free-to-play monetization. I mean, like, that's... A lot of that game is is waiting around for shit. 
Yeah. So, like, for anyone who's not played it, what Palworld actually is, is a game about building a base and levelling it up by building new things in your base and catching Pokemon to make work on your base and they have different stat attributes that mean they can automate certain different kinds of processes. So, like, oh, I'll go catch a Squirtle equivalent and... Uh, you know, this little penguin will water my plants because it's got water gun or whatever. There's some interesting ideas in it. I'll give it that. Yeah. None of them really fleshed out, as far as I could see. It immediately, like, when I played it, I'm like, this is just another survival game at its core. Yeah. To the point where it's just as fucking janky and choppy as one, and it makes me feel, like, a bit queasy. It's one of those survival games that is built on a compulsion loop. Because, like, the the core way that this works is anytime you're in within the area of your base, there will constantly be a thing on screen at all times while you're at the base that says, these are the things you need to build to get the next level up on your base. And you need to be doing that because you can't level up your Pokemon beyond your personal, like, trainer level and your base level. Because if you your Pokemon go above that level, it'll just force them down because they can't over-level where you're at. So constantly, this little thing's on screen telling you what you need to do to level up your base. And it's always like two or three things. It's always a very manageable number of things to go, these are the things you've got to build for your next level up. And you build them and you level up the thing and then it's like, cool, here's two or three more things you've got to do. And it's constantly throwing this small list of incremental updates that you need to do to get you just stuck in this loop of okay, well now I've got to build the upgraded version of that bench, and then, like, you know, an hour from now I'll be building the upgraded version of the upgraded version of that bench. And in that little loop, like, that is the bulk of the game. But there's the other bit of the game, which is trying to be a Breath of the Wild-esque go-catch-Pokemon-out-in-the-wild. And, like, I don't mean this as a compliment. I don't want this to come across as a compliment. But the closest Pokemon game I would compare it to is something like Pokemon Legends Arceus. In that you've got that whole element of throwing out your Pokemon with the, the the left bumper in real time to, you know, collect resources or whatever, and sneaking up and throwing Pokeballs from behind. And there's stuff about that that I like, a uh, little bit. I like that there's the percentage meter that tells you, like, explicitly what your catch percent chance is based on what the Pokemon's health is right now. You know, there's little bits like that. But ultimately... It wants you to catch, like, multiples of Pokemon, but doesn't give you, like, the Pokedex checklist that Legends Arceus did to sort of incentivize that. I don't think it wants you to get attached to these Pokemon, like, the way that a Pokemon game would, of, like, this is my one and it's on my team and I've grown attached to it. Because any time your Pokemon get knocked out, you have to go put them in the box for ten real-world minutes before you can use them again. Fucking hell. And the way to get around that seems to be have two identical teams that you're kind of leveling at the same time so if one gets knocked out you can go get the identical <laughs> one that's a couple of levels behind out the box and use that for a minute and like it's sort of encouraging you to double up on raising your team which isn't great yeah battles are all just automated you throw your pokemon out and they just kind of lazily auto battle and it's not clear how you make them attack a specific enemy sometimes they'll just go attack the level 50 thing in the starting area for no reason and get your team wiped yeah i think the idea is it's like supposed to just be an ai co-op thing like gears of war without a second human player 
I don't think I'm as far in as you. I played to the end of the tutorial when it stopped giving me tutorial things to do. I beat the first boss. Because the combat gives me an almost MMO slash almost a Bioware thing where, like, you're just stabbing and then they're, like, popping off the occasional sort of big damage. Yeah. Except you don't get, like, cool skills. Or do you? I don't know. There was a boss fight that might be the best way for me to talk about this. You throw out your Pokemon, and in my example, my Pokemon, you know, it was attacking at very unpredictable intervals, but it would be doing like 300 damage a hit. I, the trainer, was running around. I'd worked really hard to make this poison bow and arrow that I could use to, like, fire at the enemy myself, and that was doing at most, like, 30 damage with each arrow. So I was not doing good damage compared to my Pokemon, but I was much more engaged in that bit of the gameplay because I was actually fucking involved in it. I was doing something, and it was pitiful damage compared to what my Pokemon was doing, but... I was actually playing the game and not just sort of waiting and hoping my Pokemon would attack back. Yeah, it's weird. It is. It sure is. I am going to play more of it. I I think I've made it clear across various pieces of content what I think of these crafting survival games. I was over them in the 2010s. They're so similar. And they all seem to think that, like, part of the experience must be that they're janky and run like shit, which is the only way I can imagine this game is having, like, its defenders, is people who have played any of the dozens of other ones and been like, this is what these games are supposed to be. But I was immediately sort of stunned by how, like, shoddy everything feels. And I know it's an early access kind of thing as well. I want to, I need to add that. But even then, it's just, it feels like an also-ran that is trading on some gimmickry. I feel kind of differently about it, and I here's where I'm at. I'm not going to play more of this, but I do understand the people who are sinking lots of time into it, because I played five hours of this in one sitting, and I hadn't intended to play five hours. I was going to play about two hours and go and do some other work, and I kind of just kept playing. And I eventually put it down, and when I didn't feel at all fulfilled by any of that time mm. I spent playing it, but I felt compelled to keep going. One of the worst kinds of games. Yeah. It is the experience I had the first time I tried to play No Man's Sky. I got stuck in a loop of doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and not feeling like I had a clean exit ramp. And playing for longer than intended to a detrimental amount, I, you know, I, that, that had a negative impact on my day that I played for that long, despite the fact that I went away from it going, I feel like I've done nothing substantial with this time. Yeah. That's not a good way to, to end feeling playing about a game, but I know that if you're someone who, like, doesn't do this for a job and doesn't have to make time to play other things, I could see someone going... Every time I pick this up, I play for, like, 12 hours. That means I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Even I used to, like, think like that a bit. I played the, like, and I know it has its, like, many fans, but I never liked the open-world Mad Max game. But I did play it a lot. And back then, I was so focused on, like, the psychological manipulation of things like microtransactions, I wasn't thinking about, like, 
gameplay loops yeah. so much. So I didn't have the language. And in the review, it's like, well, it must be doing something right. And then, of course, people in the comments being like, oh, well, how could you give it such a low score then, like, if you said you kept playing it? And now I can say, like, well, because the games are designed to hook you. And it can do that regardless of its quality. If you are looking for a thing that will very effectively get its hooks in you and get you doing one thing for a long time and focusing in, uh, this game is effective at that. Yes. But it reminds me how I felt doing late game level grinding in MMOs when I got real hooked on some MMOs many years ago. And that feeling of, I don't necessarily actually enjoy my time with this but I also play it for 18 hours and suddenly realise I've neglected looking after myself and then go, what did I even do with that time? Yeah. That's why I'm going to put it down. It's not that I think it doesn't have interesting ideas. The getting your little creatures to work on your farm and automate your farm, I think, is genuinely really interesting. It's not nearly as dystopian as the edgy marketing sort of leaned into it being. It's There is something to the idea of... You know, I got a, a, a rock crushing machine, but I need an additional water Pokemon to tend my farm so that I can get that running. There is there is something to that little farm managing minigame style. Yeah. There's something here, but it's a game I have to put down and not play anymore. Yeah. Of. Now, have you heard about some of the uh, controversies and shit going on about the game? I've not properly looked into them yet. I can summarize them. The gist is, there were at one point suggestions that the game was developed using AI art. There's no evidence of that outside of circumstantial evidence that the developer of this game really does love AI and generative AI and is a big proponent of it. No active evidence he used it here. There were allegations that character models had been directly ripped out of Pokemon. The viral Twitter thread that was making that allegation, the person behind it has admitted that they made that up entirely Uh. and manipulated the character models (laughs) to make that case. They just didn't like the game and and deliberately spun some bullshit to try and cause controversy. Mm -hmm. There is, I think, a valid uh, point to be made that a lot of these Pokemon are not just coincidentally similar to Pokemon designs, a lot of them are very fucking clear they looked at a Pokemon and went, yeah, we can tweak a few things and make oh, it yeah. work. Like, if it's not straight-up replication, yeah. it is one of those sort of uh, legally distinct, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Neither do I. I think it is a fair point to make. I don't think that they're in any legal trouble with Nintendo. I think that, like, Pokemon have made a thousand of these fucking things at this point. I think you can get away with going, well, if we can't do water bird, because Pokemon's done a water bird, what can we do? I think there's a valid argument to be made there. The last one that's maybe of note is someone did make a, or was working on a Pokemon mod for this that made you Ash Ketchum and made your, you know, Pikachu was in there and stuff. Nintendo did DMCA that trailer and the person who made the mod has suggested Nintendo contact them and said, don't fucking do this. That's probably fair enough. They have a legal right to go, don't put our characters in 
the game that angry people online are calling the Pokemon killer right now. You know, <laughs> maybe we don't want you to do that. I know, it's killer. fucking bullshit to call it the Pokemon killer, I know. <laughs> it's such... It's not fucking... It's not fucking Pokemon. I was gonna it's... say, like... Oh, it, it it might be because it's so bad you'll never want to play Pokemon again, but they're so dissimilar, it won't put you off Pokemon. It'll just make you want to play it more. I want to play Pokemon. I want to play Sc- Scarlet and Violet after playing that fucking game, and I've made my opinion on that quite clear. <laughs> there we go. I've played enough of it to now be able to say... I don't want to play it, and it's not just because I watched footage of it. I've played it, and I don't want to play more of it. So there you go, everyone. You can stop asking if I'm going to play more Pal World. I don't want to sink dozens of hours into it and then go, why the fuck did I sink dozens of hours into this? I think that's incredibly valid. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of game I could imagine having a crossover with Smashlings. What about you, Conrad? You played anything else this week? Well, I did. I played a little analog horror game that is really quite, quite clever and quite good. It's called Home Safety Hotline. Mm-hmm. This is set in the '90s. I think it's '96, and you have a desktop computer interface with a, a dial-in, and the menus are all based on Windows '95. You'll have a screen. And people will call you, and it'll play a little, you know, voice recording of somebody describing the problem that's going on in their home. And you then have a a little encyclopedia of various household problems, and you find the one that corresponds with their issue, and it contains information on how to resolve it, and you send that to them. And that's the premise. But As you might expect, because it's an analog horror thing, um, you get all sorts of internet-style creepypasta monsters uh, and entities and things like that that are slowly revealed to you over time as each day in the game progresses. It's really well executed for what it is. It's not a complicated game. We played through the whole thing on my stream in about three hours. It's relatively short, but it is very well constructed and i really really like the idea of being you know required to learn all of these facts about these various creatures and try to retain them now the game generally lets you continue to have access to that encyclopedia while you're working on a call but about once a day you'll get one where the network is down and now you have to remember Hmm. specifically and there's like 25 entries in there so it does take a bit of remembering on those and then if you if you manage to get 90 percent or better accuracy on them every day you get like a little coupon for some product and these get progressively more um spiritually weird and that's fun but that's just like a little bonus thing that they threw in for success because i guess and and we did well enough playing it that we didn't experience too much of this, but I guess it's like the content reward, generally speaking, would be in failure because you get, you know, your manager giving you all sorts of complaints and 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 there's clearly something going on with her. We didn't get much of that. Uh but it's neat. It's it's very simple, it's very straightforward, it's lightly creepy in the way that a lot of these things are, but it's also got a good sense of humor. And it's all sort of based on Fae lore. It's fun. It's worth checking out. 
a good little experience I had with uh, with home safety hotline. It's it's good. Yeah. It's very very clear. Like the they, the uh, the designer included a little like making of screen uh, like a slideshow at the end of it. And the whole time I was playing it, I was thinking of Local Fifty Eight, which is a analog horror series on YouTube by Chris Straub, um, which is phenomenal. Like it's one of the best examples of the form that I've seen in terms of you know like production quality, uh, which is you know when you're talking about analog horror, you want to make it look like the thing. But you don't want to overproduce and not make it look like the thing because you're trying too hard to make it look like the thing. And he really does a phenomenal job on these. Um, so that and and it, so it was very validating to see that come up as part of the making of documentary slideshow that local 58's in there. There's another one, uh, uh, Skycorp is another one of those series that's pretty interesting and good. And then um, Gemini Home Entertainment, I think, is is the other. Uh, those three series are all worth checking out if you're curious about analog horror on YouTube. Uh, and Home Safety Hotline follows well in those traditions. It's, it's a fun little creepy thing with a setting that uh, they don't give you enough of to really feel like you have a handle on what's happening but creative and entertaining uh great text in it voice performances are just the low budget you want not, it's not good acting but you didn't want good acting and the, <laughs> the, the times where people are really putting acting into it it's appropriate because the character is just a weird thing that you're doing and i like that i would encourage people to take a look at home safety hotline very simple very short, but fun. And there is, yeah, there's a little bit of tension when you don't know what's going on and you think, oh gosh, am I going to tell this person to leave out some cream to deal with this thing, but instead it's something else and it's just going to t steal their children? Fun game. Neat. Yeah. Um, uh, I think there's one other game that we've played this week. Uh, Steph, what's, what's that last one you've played? Uh, I have played Luck Be a Landlord. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh yeah, I played a lot of that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm still formulating them, but I have thoughts. Yeah. So I love this game when I'm in the middle of a run. And yeah. everything is coming together. I've got all of these little icons on the slots, all the symbols, like they're all synergized and it, it feels like a well-oiled machine and i've got that kind of i'm almost robotic like i'm in that zone of like pick a symbol i know what my next move is gonna be pick that do that like and then suddenly it's gone they've made a very fun game that constantly leaves me feeling very empty to the point where I'm in a strange situation where I am loving it in the moment, yet still having that feeling, Laura Post Pal World, of what did I just do with my time? Because, yes, I had fun, and, you know, I do tend to agree with the, the sentiment that no time spent having fun is wasted time, but yet I still felt like I wasted it, which 
I don't do with other time waster games. Like I'll sit and happily play many many games that are uh, like this, but this one just. And I get that there is a message to it. Well, sure, but yeah, it's a shame to to have a great game, and and yet, you know, I've I've won. Um, I think I'm on like floor five or something, and I know there's some like thing that can happen at floor 10 um i don't know if i'm gonna make it because when i start playing it i play it for a long time but the motivation to pick it up after comes and goes and it's already like dying not to the same degree but i i understand the feeling you've had there it's one where i've been playing this specifically like on the steam deck as a second screen activity while i'm doing something else and in that context, I'm enjoying it. The times where I've sat down and gone, this is going to be the one thing I'm doing right now, there's been something weird about the feeling. And for me, it's been mitigated by doing it as a second screen activity, but I I, I understand the core thing, even if I don't have great words for it either. I didn't clear floor 10, and you don't have to to, to reach the end state of the game. You can clear it ten times on any floor and get that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So if the modifiers are slowing you down and you want to get through it, you can do it all on floor one. Um, I do suggest trying to clear floor seven because that really opens up a lot of options. Right. I think that's something else I've been sort of struggling with this. It's kind of the opposite of the turnip boy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. A lot of shit tying together this week. Yeah. It has that opposite problem where... I'm doing the same thing over and over, and because um, I made this point about another game recently, um, the, the the Legend of Grimrock, I'm so spoiled by roguelikes and the certain pattern, uh, the kind of minimum mm. kind of qualifications one would have for being a roguelite these days, the the minimum expectations. So I'm playing thinking, once I clear a floor, what's going to happen? Am I going to get new symbols? And it's not. It's just silent. No fanfare. No nothing. Just go back to the main menu, start a new game, select the floor on these sort of real basic menus. Which, you know, simple presentation, fine. The game is the star, not not the menus. But because it's so silent and, and it happens between these moments where you really are into it and... and, and and having fun to be shunted so like abruptly out of it into something so underwhelming again maybe there's there's like some leeway to be given for some point being made but at the end of the day as i've said about many games that play with their mechanics um play away but at the end of the day we've got to play it like we have to play it as well once you ship it and if you've made a hmm. shit game on purpose, not not that Luck Be Landlord is shit, but if you've added shitty experiences on purpose, the player does have to interact with that uh, and have a bad time with that. It's something you've got to be very careful with. This War of Mine, one of the very few games to have managed that, to have managed hmm. to give you a bad time and be a a brilliant video game that, that has earned the ability to do that i think a lot of games that that play with mechanics to give you a shit time on purpose do not do the the work required to earn it 
Yeah, I think I think that is fair. Um, yeah, if that's everything we've played this week, should we quickly rattle through a couple of bits of news this week? Yeah, let's do sure. it. Sure. So, first one I kind of want to talk about, because this is a... It's an evolving story, but one that I think is really interesting, is... We... I, I don't think this is going to be a widespread issue, but we might be a, about to enter an era where it's kind of risky to buy secondhand Switch games. Mm. And I was talking to Steph about this a little bit before, but, um... We talked the other week about the fact that there is a a flash cart being released for the Switch, and it's starting to get out into people's hands, and a few weeks after that, probably by mid-February, there is going to be a commercially available Switch cartridge USB uh, dumping tool that you just plug a cartridge in, drag and drop, you've copied a Switch cartridge to your PC. And the reason this is kind of important is a couple of reviewers have gotten their hands on this cartridge now and have had a bit of an opportunity to look into how this thing works and how it certifies itself as a legitimate cartridge in your Switch. And the short version, uh, there's going to be some some real hand-waving oversimplification here, but the basic version is, unlike a lot of flash carts where you load your generic ROMs onto them, boot up this cartridge, go to a menu where you select it and you boot into a ROM. This is replicating the Switch cartridge, uh, including all unique identifying information. Now, you don't have to use all that information. It seems like this flash cart probably can function with only generic information, you know, that is not specific to one cartridge if you're just playing offline. That unique identifying information is largely if you want to play online in in games without using a cartridge. But a use case has been brought up that I think is interesting, which is someone could, in theory, rip a Switch cartridge, including its unique identifying information, to put on their, their ROM cart, and then sell their Switch cartridge to like a CEX or a second-hand game store. And if you, the person who's who's got the game on their flash cart and the person who buys it from a second-hand game store both boot up the game and play online at the same time, theoretically, Nintendo could detect both of those and ban both those consoles. I don't think that is likely to be a big issue. I don't think it's likely to happen a lot. But we are about to enter an era where, more and more frequently, there will be the risk present that a second-hand game you purchase could have been ripped, including its identifying unique information by someone, and that booting it up could cause you to get banned because you look like you're playing a stolen game. Wow. I am genuinely fascinated to see how Nintendo is going to handle this situation, because it is, like, the first time there is a news story of, I bought a a legitimate second-hand cartridge and my Switch got banned, Nintendo is going to have to deal with that situation. I wonder... I wonder if the response is, well, that's the risk you take when you purchase from the secondary market. I do wonder. Are they going to use this as an argument against secondhand game sales and to try and push the death of secondhand faster? Possibly. But I think, honestly, like, that is no longer the the industry's uh, boogeyman. But it's definitely, like, there. there is the potential for them to moralize about it. But I think that mm. they can use this as a, as a way of encouraging people to make digital purchases that they know will be secure. 
Yeah. Here's the thing. If this is small, isolated incidents, I think Nintendo doesn't publicly acknowledge it. I think that they, on a case-by-case basis, go, okay, send us a photo of you having the cartridge or whatever. Cool, we'll reinstate your Switch or whatever. If this happened frequently enough that it became widespread, I wonder if Nintendo would just stop banning Switches that this happens to and go, this is not worth the hassle. Our successor that uses different cartridges is on the horizon fuck it, we lost this round. I mean, I think that's the smarter decision to make. You know, they are, we believe, you know, only a few months away from announcing another console. Yeah. I think that is the sensible move. I think think the sensible thing for them to do is go, we have well and truly lost the fight against piracy this generation. But they won the fucking war. Like, they made all the money on this console. Yeah. So... They did. It really didn't impact them that much. Maybe just go... Look, people who have early Switches can already do undetectable piracy on them. Now this fucking cartridge is out there and is making it really easy. Maybe we just make sure the Switch 2 is better defended and we just let let the Switch be what it is. Because it's clearly not impacted our sales that much. Don't stress it. That's what I'd do. Yeah, don't don't worry about the faff that's going to be people giving negative press because they bought a second-hand game and they're... Console and not. don't amplify the existence of these cartridges because if they yeah. make a thing out of it, it's just gonna Streisand effect. They're just gonna point people in the direction of the MIG Switch or similar products. Yes, and I don't doubt that similar products will exist very soon oh, yes. after because people who've gotten this flash cart have opened it up and the identifying information off the chips has been manually scratched out on every one of them, which leads me to believe they are off-the-shelf parts oh, yeah. that it's not going to take someone long to work out, oh, it's just those chips. Yeah, we can make one of these. We are on the precipice of that happening and I just think it's an interesting discussion uh, to be had. Other than that, a couple of quick ones. Uh, last week we talked about uh, Remedy and uh, Rockstar and there being some some legal debate about whether their letter R-based logos were too similar. Um, like half an hour after we finished recording last week, uh, there was a response. Um, Remedy stated, oh, this got amicably resolved last year, don't worry about it. I will read the statement they gave to Eurogamer. There is nothing to see here. This was a discussion between our teams that was resolved entirely and amicably late last year. Unfortunately, it took a little longer to complete than we'd hoped due to holiday scheduling. The legal filing was simply an initial formality, and Remedy and Take-Two continue to work together in partnership. If... I guess maybe legally you have to be seen doing this, but it feels like... Yeah... Filing a legal thing only to go, we're not actually bothered by it, feels like such a waste of money. Yeah, that is Getting how lawyers it works, involved though. to go, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Except you can, it's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, it does seem like a waste, but again, they do have to defend trademark whenever that sort of thing comes yeah. up, lest someone else come along and be like, oh, well, you didn't defend it in this instance, so I'm fine. There is a, a sort of legal compulsion for them to do this sort of yeah. thing. And uh, so, yeah. when it first came up with the whole Elder Scrolls and then Mojang yeah. Scrolls, and yeah, I mean, it's just evidence that trademark rules and regulations and shit need severe updating because none of them caught up to like what media and content and creativity is now and what that means agreed and we're gonna see some trademark fights in the next few years that's that's inevitable now that now that willie's in the public domain 
we will see yeah. more of that. Additionally, we've got a couple of other stories we can quickly do. There's bad news for another Embracer-owned studio. Uh, this time it's it's Piranha Bytes, who are the developers of the Gothic games, uh, have acknowledged that they are in a difficult situation and facing potential closure. If they manage to do another game in the future, it won't be because Embracer published it. It sure seems like Embracer just dropped them to save money. Wow. So that's another studio that Embracer was just sort of left by the wayside. Cool. Cool indeed, right? Also, we got more layoffs, because of course there's more layoffs. Riot Games has laid off 530 employees. Mm. Yeah. That is 11% of the company. They have said it's because they're refocusing on fewer high-impact projects to move us towards a more sustainable future. Which sounds like we overextended and overexpanded, and now that the COVID boom of game sales is has retreated, sorry, we're going to jettison you. Nothing to say that we haven't already said about layoffs, just, my god, this tidal wave does not seem to be stopping. Nope. There's a pretty lengthy explanation of them trying to justify themselves, but it it's mainly uh, seems to be... Riot Forge, their sort of initiative working with indie studios, has been shut down. A lot of people outside of core development have been let go, which I'm going to read between the lines and assume QA took a big hit. Yeah. Because that's usually usually the case. Employees affected by the layoffs are receiving a minimum of six months severance, a cash bonus equal to 100% of their annual performance bonuses, Health benefits equal to the length of severance pay, $1,000 to cover additional expenses that would have fallen within their play fund and wellness fund, a laptop to help find work if one isn't available at home. It does seem like they're doing more than some have done in terms of making, you know, some degree of support available while they find other work, but it's still a case of 500 people just not having a job through no fault of their own because higher-ups overhired, and that's the, the lower-downs problem now. Yeah, that seems yeah. pretty typical. You know, it's just, it's just the same thing we've been parroting for weeks, that, you know, we've... we uh, Capitalism just... It always has to go up, and we had a bubble during COVID, and, and that's... Uh, yeah, they... they planned for the bubble to expand forever, as they always seem to. And uh, here we are. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, we got one last story this week. Um, you know how Square Enix used to have a bunch of different uh, properties that they owned, and then they sold all of them off? And as a result, they have a much, I would say, a much less diverse offering of games that they can output, because they sold off a bunch of the stuff that was, you know, more, the the different stuff they owned. Mm-hmm. Remember when that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um... Uh, Square Enix president Takashi Kiryu uh, said in an investor Q&A back in November that's now been published in English um, that he thinks Square Enix needs to diversify its gaming output. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... The, the the point in question is him talking about, like, 
an issue he sees as the limited diversity of our title portfolio. I'll read his quote. Because we possess strong IPs like the Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy franchises, I believe that we have tended to be overly reliant on certain gameplay styles or genres. Meanwhile, the tastes of customers in the gaming market have diversified, and customers have come to enjoy content from a variety of genres. You know, like the variety of genres you used to own. I got nothing to add to this. They sold off all their diversity of genres, and now they're realising they probably need a diversity of genres. Well, they've got fucking... What is it? It isn't NFTs, it's fucking AI. Yeah. It's all starting to merge together. Yeah, I mean, it's both of them, apparently. Yeah, NFTs not to the extent as as um, years before, uh, but yeah. They've got AI, they don't need Lara Crofts. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, you really could have avoided this problem by not selling off all your diverse portfolio of titles. Indeed. Laura... Me? You've got a diverse portfolio. Quite literally. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, would you like to leaf us through it? Oh, sure, why not? Well, you can find all the stuff I do at Laura Cave. I was pretty much everywhere. Go check all all that stuff out. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Uh, You can find an interview that I did with a photosensitive epilepsy consultant about uh, Tekken 8 that'll be up by the time that this uh, episode goes out. Uh, I've been really enjoying doing these sort of interview uh, conversation videos with other accessibility consultant people in the games industry recently. Go check them out. I'm really, really enjoying putting those together. Uh, There will be an accessibility video this Friday that will be talking about my belief that this year, 2024, is going to be the year that high contrast mode visuals really sort of hit a mainstream stride in AAA gaming, and why I think that is, and what's so exciting about that. So look forward to that on Friday. Um, just Laura K. Buzz, you'll find all the stuff I do. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch a few days a week at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a patron? Stephanie Sterling. That is correct. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Um, I think that's it. Like, normally I have wrestling dates uh, to announce, um, but I actually offer a little bit. Um until further notice uh so i'm not like injured or anything don't worry about that uh just time off uh and we'll see you next week because we'll still be doing that don't you fucking worry about it bye bye bye